Act Two, Part Two of The Freaks, An Idol of Suburbia, by Arthur Wing Pinero. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Two, Part Two. Ronald and Rosa enter from the garden, flushed and breathless. They are wearing tennis shoes, and Ronald is carrying his jacket over his arm. Ronald, seeing Waterfield. Hello, Doc. Oh, going to Waterfield, her eyes flashing. Here, why hasn't nobody told me that you was in the house? Ronald, at the fireplace, pressing a bell-push. We're dying for a drink, Rosa and I. Waterfield, to Rosa. Ho, oh, ho. What's a fierce little person? I reckon them nurses take a great deal too much on theirselves. Tilney, gazing out of the window. Shut up, Rosa. My dear Miss Balmano, there wasn't the slightest necessity for interrupting you at your game, or we'd have done so. Ronald, who has thrown his hat onto one of the saddles and is now putting on his jacket. Course, you are a fiery girl, Rosa. Beg pardon? He's going on, then, as well as can be expected, is he? That's it. As well as can be expected. As well as can be expected. Bustling to the door on the left, where Ronald joins him. Goodbye for the present. Opening the door. I shall look in again after dinner. Ronald, slapping Waterfield on the back. Goodbye, Doc. Tilney, sitting in the chair behind the oblong table. Goodbye, Doctor. Waterfield disappears into the outer hall. Rosa, taking off her hat and laying it on the round table, preparatory to sitting on the settee. Golly, I am not. Ronald, closing the door and coming forward. By chinks! Rosal, blink me close up at the net in no time at this rate. Rosa, seated, with a modest wriggle. Garn, cut it out kidding me gospel sitting in the chair at the round table and sticking his legs out phew tilney his elbows on the oblong table examining his hat rosa rosa altering the position of a hairpin yes collingridge enters from the outer hall to ronald during sir rather two lemon squashes quick as you can to tilney have a drink, old man? No, thanks. Ronald, to Collingridge. Lots of ice, Collingridge. Yes, sir. Collingridge goes out. Rosa, to Tilney. What say, Raish? I'm just off to Lambeth. Lambeth? To Dufferin Street? Tilney nods. What for? To open our baskets and bring our show-togs away. Our show-togs? Jimmy has a craze, a longing, to see us in him for a few minutes. It's only a whim, but he's, he's plumb weary of lying upstairs, and, and Dr. Waterfield says we ought to humor him. Rosa, rising and going to Tilney. Sign he's getting quite himself, ain't it? Sign his brain's working, anyway. And that he's hungering for the road. Does he know of the offer we've had, Raish? Not yet. 
Ronald, pricking up his ears. An offer? Yes, we've had an offer through our agents. Oh, gosh, agents, through our agents, Crumelli and Frampton for Boscovitz's circus in the States, to sail for New York in August and join up at Los Angeles first of September. Ronald to Tilney, his jaw falling. You? You're not going to accept it, are you, Tilney? Haven't decided. Rising, hat in his hand. Frampton gives us a month to make up our minds. Rosa, unconsciously putting herself through some gymnastic exercises. I've to loosen myself if anything comes of it. Tilney, at the window, to Ronald. Herrick? Ronald, staring at the carpet. Hello? Will you explain to your mother, so that she won't be surprised when we turn up tonight in our show clothes? Ronald nods abstractedly. And Rosa? Rosa, kissing the tips of her fingers mechanically to an imaginary audience. Hi! Tilney, opening the window. Rosa? Rosa, sitting on the fauteuil stool. Wasse? Tilney, with a motion of his head. You'd better feed with us this evening in the Alexandra Road. We shall want you there early, to help dress Julie and Thomas Quincy. Richa R. Raish? He passes into the garden, shuts the window, and disappears. As soon as he is out of sight, Ronald rises and goes to Rosa. Ronald, looking down upon her with an aggrieved air. First I've heard of this idea of your going to America later on, with Tilney and the others. Never thought it would interest you. Excuse me, Rosa. That's an equivocation. You know perfectly well I'm deeply interested. Not interested. Interested. Deeply interested in all that concerns you. Rosa, raising her eyes to his for a moment. Are you? I am. Rosa, lowering her eyes. Yes, I do know. I'm lying. Went completely out of me stupid head, that's the truth. And when did Mr. Tilney receive this precious offer, pray? Days ago he had the letter, but he didn't sidestep off to Maiden Lane till last Monday. Maiden Lane? The Hagents. Clenching her hands. Oh, oh gosh, there I go again. Jumping up. Here, them hatches are torturing me. My word, they are. If anything drives me to the States, it'll be my ha-spirits, as Sheila calls em, and so you can form her with my best respects. Rosa! Jumpin' Jonquil's life is getting to be a regular hagony for me when I'm with your mammy and sister. Quiet, Rosa. Anything, not anything. Rosa, waving her arms. Very likely, very likely. I don't deny it. Aspirates, not haspirates. All right, all right. Have it your own way. Ronald, pointing to the fauteuil stool. Please resume your seat and listen to me. She hesitates rebelliously. Rosa? Rosa? Gradually her face clears and lights up with a childish smile. Rosa? edging towards the fauteuil stool. <laughs> Lordy, don't whip me, mister. Whip you? His manner changing. Whip you? Rosa, 
reseating herself with a little writhing movement of her shoulders, still smiling. If you're dead, it wouldn't be the first Lerupin I've had, not by Andreds. Ronald, sitting upon the oblong table close to her. You, you've been beaten, Rosa? Rosa, cheerfully. Oh, you needn't be horrified. We don't take no count on that in our business. Ronald, stroking her hair. My dear little girl, when? When I was training for the trapeze. The trapeze? Said so, didn't I? Who? Me father, mostly. Senior Balmano. Your father? Yes. Valga me Dios, he used to yell out, and twish-shish-shish out come the tickler on me skinny back. Ronald, choking. <laughs> oh, better him than some, I can tell you. He was such a handsome man, me father. Handsome? Rosa, with a scowl. If it had been O'Hagan now. O'Hagan? Mike O'Hagan. Who was O'Hagan? Me mother's husband. Your mother's... Why? Wasn't Balmano? No. I'm illegitimate. O'Hagan behaved brutal to mother, so she turned him down and took up with senior Balmano. Uh, I see. It's a honour to be illegitimate when you had a child of a man like senior Balmano. The H is silent in honour. Rosa, beginning to enjoy her own prattle. O'Hagan was a clown, no cased, Ireland's funny little gem, the Dago. Wouldn't have been his daughter for something. Something, not something. He died, a drink, Micah Hagen did, and then Senior Balmano proposed marriage to Mother, but she preferred her independence. Not independence. Mother was Mademoiselle Lagrange, least that was her professional name. She was Miss Rooney for she married O'Hagan. Ever heard of her? No. Singler. She did the Ochi Coal. Ronald, puzzled. Ochi Coal? In the long abbot and tall ad. Made a horse do parlor tricks. Ochi Coal. Said so, didn't I? Is, is she? Rosa, nodding solemnly. Yes, through a accident. Ronald, stroking her hair again. Accident, not accident. Me father, Senior Balmano, he was as versatile as he was handsome. He ended by being champion jockey act rider of two hemispheres. Indeed. <sighs> the way he off the saddle and bridle, galloping round the ring and chucked them to a segantini was unparalleled. Ever heard of him? No. Singler. Where? She makes a downward gesture. Your father, too? Rosa, nodding. Through a accident. Ronald, taking her hand and smoothing it. My poor little woman. Haven't you any relations living at all? Rosa, shaking her head. No. My poor dear little... He drops her hand suddenly, listening, and they rise and separate as Collingridge enters from the outer hall, carrying two tumblers of lemon squash and some straws upon a small tray. Collingridge goes to Rosa, who takes one of the tumblers. Thanks. Straw. Rosa, taking a straw and putting it into her tumbler. 
thinks ronald to collingridge taking the other tumbler and a straw thanks collingridge withdraws as rosa and ronald imbibe thirstily through the straws ronald between gulps not bad rosa drinking noisily bad geronimo having consumed half her drink she sits panting in the chair on the right of the oblong table and draws her sleeve across her mouth golly i was ought ronald moving to the oblong table drinking as he goes what i was about to say to you rosa what i was about to say to you is this sitting in the chair behind the table it'd be a rotten mistake a rotten mistake for you to leave england london now would it why just when luck has brought you some jolly good some jolly good friends rosa peering into the depths of her tumbler as she drinks my mother and sheila and myself rosa putting her tumbler and her elbows on the table and facing him don't see what difference it would make whether we eat the breeze for america or not directly jimmy recovers this this will be hover bending her head to drink ronald following her example as to his tumbler in the position of his elbows my dear rosa there you are in error gazing at her earnestly over his glass it'll be your fault entirely if i ever lose sight of you rosa raising her eyes to his w -w what for the rest of me life do you mean yes for the rest of your life they lower their eyes and drink together then she pushes her tumbler from her and drawing back sits with her hands in her lap staring before her after a pause he jogs his chair a little nearer to her you you won't go to america rosa jimmy and raish and julie and thomas quincy i i couldn't desert them i should ate to be a quitter but you needn't be a quitter you can persuade tilney to refuse the agent's offer and to remain in this country surely you've a voice in the matter rosa rosa well there ain't no hurry is there the ship don't sail to-morrow any old owl no but rosa flutteringly straightening her skirt i'll i'll run upstairs and change me shoes and then i'll be gittin along to the alexandra road ronald jolting his chair still closer to her not yet tom and julie'll want lookin after while raish is absent stay and finish your drink finish your drink no thanks why not strikes cold on me stomach she rises and goes to the round table and picks up her hat ronald springing up and following her rosa 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 her bosom heaving let me be let me be rosa give me a kiss k, k kiss one one what for what for 
He catches hold of her impulsively, and their eyes meet, and then their lips. And then she breaks away from him and scurries up the stairs, leaving him with his arms hanging loosely and a half-scared, half-vacant look on his face. The picture curtain falls and rises again after another short interval. The light in the garden is now the cooler light of evening. In the room a small fire is burning. Mrs. Herrick is seated on the settee, engaged upon a piece of fancy-work, and talking to Glenn, who is in the chair on the right of the round table. Lady Ball Jennings is in the chair on the left of the oblong table, twiddling her thumbs. Sheila, with an absent-minded air, is on the fauteuil stool. Sir Norton stands at the fireplace, his back to the fire, discontentedly tapping his front teeth. And Collingridge, carrying a salver, is collecting some empty coffee-cups. The ladies are in demi-toilet, and Glynn is in his dress-coat. But Sir Norton's evening dress is modified by his wearing an ill-fitting black velvet jacket. Sir Norton, coming forward on the right, as Collingridge goes out at the door on the left, with his ghastly smile. Well, well, well. Can't we amuse ourselves more profitably than by discussing carnations and anterinums, hey? Lady Ball Jennings in her most cheerful manner amuse ourselves <laughs> mrs herrick bending over her work the vicar knows meg dear that while mr eddowes is lying upstairs we are practically deprived of the use of the drawing-room and unable to offer a guest the entertainment of a little music glen nodding yes 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 why, Mr. Eddowes was honoured by being given the room immediately above the drawing-room, I can't conjecture. But how could I have possibly foreseen? Owing to his extreme length, Vicar, the giant's bed is made up on the floor. And as this house is exceedingly ill-built, jerry-built, in fact. Sir Norton, indicating the drawing-room even a whisper is taboo in there let alone the piano lady ball jennings beaming upon everybody not that the piano has ever been silenced when my husband has had one of his neuralgic headaches sir norton still smiling never norton sheila rousing herself Ooh la 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 la! Don't worry, good people. Rising and moving toward the fireplace, giving Glenn a mischievous pat on the head as she passes him. I'm not in the least inclined to play tonight, and shouldn't have anyway. Sheila, what I was about to suggest, though really I hesitate to do so. What I was about to suggest is that it might pass half an hour agreeably if I were to resume my reading of Macbeth. Ah! Clapping her hands. Bravo, bravo, bravo! Splendid idea! Sheila, unobserved, throws up her arms and then frantically clasps her brow. Mrs. Herrick shrinks in her seat and Glynn's jaw becomes rigid. Sir Norton, adjusting his necktie. Of course, it's for all of you to say. Vicar? Sir Norton is kind enough 
to read Shakespeare to us occasionally. Quite so, quite so. Lady Bull Jennings, jumping up and going to Sir Norton. Isn't his vitality marvellous? Her hand on Sir Norton's shoulder. Who would believe that this afternoon he was writhing in agony? Positively writhing. To Mrs. Herrick, as Glenn rises and joins Sheila at the fireplace. Away with your stupid needlework, Dorothy! Away with it! Sir Norton, as Mrs. Herrick hastily crams her work into the work-basket, stalking to the door on the left. The volume is in my study. Lady Ball Jennings, turning to Sheila as Sir Norton disappears. Sheila? Scandalized at finding her flopping against Glen. Sheila, what are you doing? Sheila, pulling herself together. Nothing, aunt. Lady Ball Jennings, dragging the chair on the left of the oblong table out into the room. Help me to arrange the chairs at once. Glenn, as Sheila pushes the chair on the right of the oblong table into the corresponding position on the other side of the room. May I? Certainly not, Vicar. Counting the chairs. One, two, three, four. That will do. To Sheila. And now fetch a carafe of water and a tumbler from the dining room. Joining Glenn. Quick, quick. Yes, aunt. Lady Ball Jennings to Glenn. You mustn't expect a vast amount of lung power in the declamatory passages tonight, Vicar. Crossing to the door on the left, Sheila executes a savage war dance before her mother in passing. Mrs. Herrick, hoarse with terror. Sheila! Sheila, at the door, colliding with Sir Norton, who re-enters carrying a large book. Sorry, Uncle. Sir Norton, as Sheila bolts away. Oh! Norton! Sir Norton, pressing his hand to his diaphragm. My niece! In pain. The corner of the book! Lady Ball Jennings, taking the book from him and laying it on the oblong table. Clumsy girl! Ronald, in a dinner jacket and without a hat, has entered quietly at the window smoking a cigarette. He also has an abstracted air. Ronald, encountering Glynn, who has moved towards the window. Uh, nice in the garden, Rev. Ah, there you are, my boy. I was just going to hail you in. Get rid of that filthy cigarette and run upstairs and fetch your uncle's voice lozenges. Ronald flings his cigarette into the garden and closes the window. You'll find them in his room, on the small table by the washstand. As Ronald turns from the window. Your uncle is treating us to some Shakespeare. Ronald under his breath, reeling slightly. Great Caesar! What do you say? Julius Caesar, aunt? No, Macbeth. Sharp, sharp, sharp! Ronald slouches across the room, exchanging looks with Mrs. Herrick as he passes her and goes up the stairs. Sir Norton, who has put on a pair of tortoise-shell-rimmed spectacles, seats himself in the chair behind the oblong table and opens his book while Lady Ball Jennings brings a pillow from one of the settles and places it at his back. The light is now beginning to fade. Are you comfortable, Norton? Sir Norton, searching in his book. Fairly. What a pity that ignorant young woman, Miss Balmano, isn't home yet. 
she'll lose the finest parts of the tragedy sheila returns with the water bottle and glass ah taking them from her and standing them on the oblong table and half filling the glass thank you child now settle yourself and try not to fidget the slightest movement distracts your uncle sheila sits in the chair on the right of the round table and furtively grips her mother's hand no 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 hurrying to glynn who is about to sit at the farther side of the window and conducting him to the chair at the nearer side i advise you to sit there vicar you'll have a better view of sir norton's face there certainly certainly his facial expression when he is reading tragedy is terrible <coughs> lady Bulgennings, elevating her eyebrows sheila seeing ronald sluggishly descending the stairs come along ronald bustle bustle you're not walking in your sleep are you haven't been two ticks lady Bulgennings, snatching a small cardboard box from him and looking at the lid corn plasters oh lady Bulgennings, dabbing the box on the oblong table angrily never mind never mind sorry <laughs> sheila silence silence ronald after making an ugly grimace at his sister sits sulkily in the chair which lady Bulgennings has moved out into the room on the left not another sound seating herself in the corresponding chair on the right to sir norton forgive us norton for keeping you with a final look round Shh. sir norton peering at everybody over his spectacles i propose to take it up from the point where i was interrupted the other night by my dreadful fit of coughing preparing to read uh, lady Bulgennings to glenn sotto voce most alarming nearly frightened us to death sir norton reciting in a very poor style his gestures following his delivery of the text instead of accompanying it and his attempts to trust to his memory invariably ending in his having to consult his book um go bid thy mistress when my drink is ready she strike upon the bell uh, get thee to bed gesture is this a dagger which i see before me the hilt towards my hand no the handle the handle towards my hand come let me clutch thee gesture i have thee not uh, and yet i see thee still the door on the left opens and waterfield enters cheerily aha uh -huh. closing the door here i am again mrs herrick over her shoulder ah doctor how cosy you look here coming to mrs herrick and taking her hand hope you gave the hard-working medico a thought while you were eating your dinner to ronald and sheila who jump up and one on each side of him slip an arm through his hello kids nodding to glenn vicar to lady Bulgennings and sir norton 
Evening, Lady Bold Jennings. Evening, Sir Norton. Good evening. Sir Norton, leaning back in his chair and putting the tips of his fingers together. Good evening. Waterfield, grasping the situation. Oh, am I? Releasing himself from Sheila and Ronald and approaching Sir Norton. Afraid I've disturbed you. Pointing to the book. Your... Sir Norton is reading aloud to us. Shakespeare. A thousand apologies, bounding in like a wild animal. Ronald, to Mrs. Herrick, eagerly. Shall I take the doctor upstairs, mums? Sheila, receiving a scowl from Ronald for her pains. No, Ronald needn't. I will. Waterfield, facing them with a twinkle. No, no, you stay where you are and improve your minds. I don't want either of you. Ronald and Sheila glare at him fiercely. Ha, ha, ha. He ascends the stairs, chuckling and disappears. Sheila reseats herself, but Ronald inadvertently remains standing. Begin afresh, Norton. Sir Norton, pushing the book from him. What's the use? Glancing pettishly at the stairs. This hilarious gentleman. Surely Dr. Waterfield will have the sense to leave by the servant's staircase. Yes, yes. I'll be bound he will. Mrs. Herrick to Sir Norton, coaxingly. Norton? Norton? Sir Norton, yielding. Well... Taking a sip of water. If you insist... Ah! Sir Norton, restarting. Um. Lady Ball Jennings, as before, not noticing that Ronald is on his feet. <sharp inhale> Sir Norton, gabbling in an undertone to get into his stride. Uh, go bid thy mistress when my drink is ready. Suddenly Ronald makes for the fire and pokes and mends it. Ronald! Ronald! Darling! Sir Norton, hitting the table with his fist. This is outrageous! Go back to your seat, Ronald. Ronald, to them all, the poker in his hand. You don't want the fire to go out completely, do you? Sir Norton, thoroughly upset. Damn the fire, damn the fire, damn the fire! Lady Ball Jennings, rising and hurrying to him. Norton! To Ronald. Put the poker down, sir. Come here, Ronnie. Don't be a silly ass, Ron. Ronald, who has dropped the poker and picked up a log. Am I to put this log on, or am I not? You can swallow the log if you choose. We shouldn't have a stuffy fire in June at all, but for Uncle Norton. Hold your tongue, Ronald. My son! Ronald throwing the log on and returning to his chair, much injured, to Glenn. Wasn't aware the reading had begun again, Rev. Shut up! Not aware? Sir Norton, leaning his head on his hands. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Beg your uncle's pardon, Ronnie. Ronald, seated. For putting a log on? What's it matter? Chuck it off your chest. Ronald, kicking his legs about. 
Oh, I beg pardon on my bended knees. Wow, wow. So you ought with your wow, wow. Resuming her seat. Now then, once more. Norton? Norton? Lady Ball Jennings, as Sir Norton, obviously shaken by the unfortunate incident, gulps some more water. Shh! Sir Norton, gabbling to himself as before, but feebly. Go bid thy mistress when my drink is ready. She strike upon the bell. Get thee to bed. Aloud, renewing his effort at dramatic effect. Is this a dagger which I see before me? The, uh, the handle toward my hand? Uh, come, let me, uh... Looking up. The light's very poor. Shocking for the time of year. Uh, come, let me clutch thee. Belated gesture i have thee not uh, and yet i i see thee still leaning back i can't see anything switch the light on ronald ronald shaking his head not me poking the fire has finished me sheila lady ball jennings as sheila rises pointing to the lamp on the harmonium bring that candle lamp the electric light would strike right into your uncle's eyes. While Sheila is lighting the lamp, surveying an imaginary window in the fourth wall of the room. Why the architect stuck a cheap stained-glass window in that wall instead of a clear one is another inscrutable mystery. Flashy, flashy. Sheila carries the lamp to the oblong table and stands it on the table so that it casts its beam on Sir Norton's book. I thank you. She returns to her seat, annoying Ronald by ruffling his hair as she passes him. It is now almost dusk. Now, Norton, at last. Hush! Sir Norton, resuming. Art thou not a fatal vision, sensible to feeling, uh, as to sight, or art thou... Loud and prolonged cheers are heard from without. Sir Norton breaks off abruptly, and everybody listens. It's Rosa. Sir Norton, in despair, leaning back in his chair again. I am not to be allowed to proceed, evidently. The sound increases. The others must be with her. The noise is worse than usual. Mrs. Herrick, her hand to her brow, they may have brought her home ronald i command you go out into the drive stop this hubbub and bring miss balmano in quietly there is an uproarious outburst as ronald with a blank face gets upon his legs and then the tumult subsides ronald his jaw falling aunt i i lady ball jennings stamping her foot do as i bid you yes but to everybody i say blessed if i haven't forgotten to mention it mention 
that they were all coming round this evening in their professional rig-out. The doctor told them they might. Tilney asked me to explain to Mother. In... in there... Sir Norton, sitting upright. Professional? Their professional dress, Ronald. Ronnie! Ron! Ronald to Mrs. Herrick. Went clean out of my head, mums. What earthly reason? Eddowes has got a longing to see his pals in their circus togs, and... Going softly to the door on the left. They've arrived. Lady Ball Jennings, struggling out of her chair. Merciful powers. Sir Norton, rising and joining her. margaret Sheila, jumping up and retreating to the fireplace. Oh, Mary Anne! Mrs. Herrick and Glynn also rise. Meeting him in the middle of the room, she clings to him, and he pats her hand consolingly. Vicar! Ronald, who has opened the door an inch or two and is peeping into the outer hall. They're taking their wraps off. They're... Recoiling. Lord, look at Tilney! He hurries to Sheila and stands clutching her arm and, with the rest, watching the door. Presently the door opens fully and Julie and Pratt enter, followed by Rosa and Tilney. Julie is in a poor imitation of a court gown of the Victorian era, Pratt in a nondescript full-dress uniform, partly naval, partly military. Their garments are creased and faded, and their white kid gloves exceedingly dirty. Pratt carries a cocked hat, and both have a lot of trumpery stars and medals on their breasts. Rosa is wearing a gymnast's dress, much soiled, as are her pink fleshlings and heelless shoes, and Tilney is in an almost skin-tight suit of seedy black, faked by having highlights artfully painted on it to bring his more prominent bones into relief. The faces of the entire party are made up, Rosa's and the Pratt's crudely and vividly, Tilney's with a leaden-colored preparation which adds to its cadaverousness. Mrs. Herrick, under her breath, aghast. Oh! Sir Norton and Lady Ball Jennings, in the same way, falling back toward the window. Oh! Tilney, as the Pratts and Rosa advance, shutting the door. Had to walk, Mrs. Herrick. Couldn't get a cab for love or money. Mrs. Herrick, sinking on to the fauteuil stool. Walk! In that guise! Tilney, coming forward, apologetically. We were covered up from neck to heels. Shaking his fist at the Pratts. And if it hadn't been that these two vain little devils would persist in showing their finery to everybody we met. Shucks! Come off your perch, Rasha! I reckon me and Thomas Quincy owes a duty to the inhabitants of this village. <laughs> you bet. Glenn, standing by Mrs. Herrick, to Tilney. Dr. Waterfield is with his patient now, Mr. Tilney. Mrs. Herrick understands that it's with his consent. Tilney, nodding. That's right, Vicar. Leading the Pratts to the stairs. The doctor approves. He pauses near the foot of the stairs to put the little people in order. Mrs. Herrick to Rosa, who is following Tilney, horrified at her appearance. Oh, my child! 
Rosa, absorbed in her costume, with a complacent twist of her waist. This appenter be at the top o' me basket, but it's me blue I'm fondest of. Rosa? Hi! Unconsciously, she gives a little professional skip. Then she joins Tilney and the Pratts, and they are all about to ascend the stairs when Waterfield appears at the top and comes down. His face is grave, his manner altered. Waterfield, to Tilney. Hello. Halting on one of the lower steps and eyeing the group. You're a magnificent sight, all of you. How's Jimmy? May we go up? Waterfield, shaking his head. No, rather you didn't. Pushing through them and coming to Mrs. Herrick. Sorry to say, the poor chap's not so well, Mrs. Herrick. Not so well? Rising. Oh, doctor! It's necessary for me to have some assistance. Call in another man. Anything, anything! Tilney, who has left the prance and followed Waterfield, at his elbow. Is it desperate? Waterfield, nodding. Pretty bad. Rosa, darting up the stairs with a half-stifled cry. Oh! Come back, Rosa. Rosa, as she disappears. Shan't. Oh! 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 Waterfield, checking Tilney by a touch. Let her alone. The nurse'll tell her. Tell her? Tell her? Ronald and Sheila come to the middle of the room, listening, and Sir Norton and Lady Bull Jennings, their heads in the air, move to the fireplace. It is now quite dusk. What will the nurse tell her, doctor? Waterfield, looking at Tilney. That my diagnosis of this afternoon was correct. I was afraid. An epiema? Waterfield, nodding. A definite empyema. I'm frightened to ask. Waterfield, to Mrs. Herrick, looking at his watch. May I use your telephone? Of course. I want to get hold of Peel. Atkinson Peel, if I can. The surgeon Yes. Is Mr. Peel? Waterfield, nodding again. Fine operator. I've the fullest confidence in him. When? Tomorrow morning, early. Turning to the door on the left. Out there, isn't it? Ronald, hastening to the door and opening it. Here you are, Doc. As Waterfield goes out. Just opposite. Sheila, coming to Tilney. Oh, Mr. Tilney. Taking his hand. Mr. Tilney. Thank you. Thank you. While this has been going on, the Pratts, with piteous faces, have crept to Tilney's side. At this juncture, Julie suddenly bursts into tears. Oh, oh, oh. Pratt, screwing his fists into his eyes. <laughs> Tilney, turning upon them sharply. Julie Maud, be a woman. Where's your handkerchief? Julie, sobbing. I ain't got no pocket in these blame clothes. Thomas Quincy. He lifts them onto the settee and, producing a handkerchief, dabs their cheeks. Sheila and Ronald join Glenn and Mrs. Herrick. Oh, Mums! Oh, Vicar! Tilney, 
to Pratt and Julie. There, 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 there. We're not going to give up hope, Tom. We're not going to give up hope, old lady. Leaving them and sitting in the chair on the right of the round table. We, we. His head drooping. We're not going to give up hope. Rosa, with wild eyes, runs down the stairs. Oh, oh my God! Looking about for Glen. Here, where's the clergyman? Where's the what you call him? The vicar? Ain't Gorn, is he? Glen steps forward and confronts her. Oh, here you are, clutching his sleeve. Look here, I ain't no churchgoer. None of us is. But you heard what Raish and the doctor said. Desperate. And nurse says the same. That's how things are upstairs. Desperate. Shaking Glynn's arm. Say a prayer for him, will ya, for our Jimmy? Ask for him to be pulled through, will ya? To be pulled through, if only for this once. Scuse us for troubling ya out of business. Mrs. Herrick, partly to Glynn and partly to Rosa. I'm sure Mr. Glynn will offer up a prayer, Rosa. Glenn, laying his hand on Rosa's head. Willingly, my dear. Rosa, rushing to the little table on the left. That is kinder, yer. Carrying the prayer book to the farther side of the oblong table and, having shifted the volume of Shakespeare, setting it under the light of the lamp. If it don't do no good, it won't do no harm. Returning to Glenn. And we ought to try everything. Sitting on the fauteuil stool and rocking herself to and fro moanfully. Oh, oh, oh. Glenn, putting on his pince-nez, takes his stand before the prayer book, and Mrs. Herrick, Sheila, and Ronald seat themselves in the chairs on the right. Glenn, opening the prayer book and turning the pages. My dear friends, as Miss Belmano reminds us, in times of tribulation, suspense, affliction, we ought indeed, in seeking deliverance, to try everything. Surveying those around him queerly from under his brows. Even prayer. And happily we have no reason to suppose. In answer to a short cough from Sir Norton. Hey? Sir Norton and Lady Bulljennings, after holding an animated consultation with each other in whispers, have moved from the fireplace, Lady Bulljennings leading the way, and are now near the foot of the stairs. They both address Glynn heatedly. One moment, Vicar. We must interrupt you. While sympathizing deeply with the unfortunate man upstairs, Lady Bulljennings and I are hardly in a fit mood to take part in this ceremony. Lady Ball Jennings, beginning to mount the stairs. No, when people are smarting under a sense of injury. Sir Norton, close behind her. Suffering from a long-continued series of affronts. Injury, Meg? What affronts, Norton? Lady Ball Jennings, halting. Oh, it's easy to feign ignorance, Dorothy. Very, very... Lady Ball Jennings, to Mrs. Herrick, over the banisters. My husband has been more or less an invalid during the whole of our stay at Marston Lodge. 
considerably more than less has the vicar ever been invited to offer up a prayer for him never or has norton ever been specially prayed for at our usual family worship mrs herrick wringing her hands margaret margaret the cases are different lady Bolginnings, continuing her assent vastly that is what we complain of that is our contention lady Bolginnings, vanishing good night we are going to our beds sir norton following her good night sheila as soon as sir norton and lady Bolginnings are out of sight clenching her hands oh ronald jumping up and shaking his fist at the stairs good night and a jolly good riddance ronald of all the mean paltry pitiful sit down uncle norton wants to be prayed for does he sheila ronald seated again he shall be i'll put in a word for him so will i for both of them far away rev mrs herrick wiping her eyes children children waterfield reappears as he enters peel's not at home closing the door expected back every minute advancing they'll ring me up when he comes in seeing the prayer-book open before glen oh sitting quietly in the vacant chair on the left pardon vicar glen still turning the pages of the book my dear friends i was about to say eyeing the poor woebegone freaks for the comfort of those among us who are not in the habit of carrying their griefs and anxieties to the divine fount i was about to say that we have no reason to suppose that our voices will not be heard to-day because during periods of ease and freedom from positive misfortune we have neglected to perform our duty or have discharged it only intermittingly or half-heartedly finding his place and flattening the pages with his palm common experience mercifully points to the contrary and whether the simple but solemn appeal glancing at rosa which that young woman has called upon me to make be accepted or rejected we may at least be sure hearing footsteps on the stairs he breaks off and looks over his shoulder all eyes follow his to the general wonderment sir norton and lady Bolginnings come down the stairs and return slowly and sheepishly to the fireplace where they sit in silence he on one of the settles she on the other thank you meg thank you norton glen reading from the prayer-book his hand upraised peace be to this house and to all that dwell in it he motions to everybody to kneel and with the exception of waterfield who inclines his head reverently they do so julie and pratt being helped to their knees by tilney then glen himself kneels and the curtain falls End of Act Two.